Good afternoon, and welcome back to the Functional Longevity Podcast. Good afternoon, and welcome back to the Functional Longevity Podcast, where we give you insight on how to get fit, feel younger, and live better. My name is Chris Border, best-selling author and owner of Yes Fitness. And I'm coming to you today with some extremely interesting information. But before we get started, I would like to first thank you for taking time from your busy day to listen to what I have to say. I know uh, everyone's time is valuable, and I appreciate the fact that you take a little bit of time to listen to what I have to say. Just one quick bit of housekeeping. You can get this podcast, you can get a transcript or timestamp of this podcast if you head on over to yesfitnessct.com, scroll all the way down to the podcast, click on there, and you'll see all of our 243 broadcasts. Just click on a link, and we'll give you whatever information that you're looking for. And you can also get this broadcast wherever you normally listen to your podcast. So let's get right into this today. Gotta love mom. She always knows best, but does your doctor. So it's very interesting. I was um, on the internet the other day looking through some articles, and I came across an article from April 14th of this year on Mind Body Green, MBG. And it was titled The Best Workouts for Longevity and How Often to Do Them from an MD. So today I propose to you with the best workouts for longevity and how often to do them from a fitness professional's view. Now the um, author of this article is by Kian Vu. He's a medical doctor and he is one of the most sought after anti-aging physicians in this country. At his Vu MD Longevity Performance Clinic, Dr. Vu regularly works with celebrities, top corporate executives, and high-function professionals to optimize health performance and vitality. He's also a health media professional, appearing on TV shows. He promotes his writings and has been based on science. And I think there may be some science that the doctor needs to review. Right out of the gate, I respect this man. He knows a lot of knowledge, and I agree with many of his points, especially that exercise is associated with lowering a lower level of mortality. But there's just some things in here that I think he might need to tweak. So we're going to start off with some of the things that he said in his study that we like to agree with, that there's a compelling study showing that one of two weekly sessions of moderate or vigorous intensity, leisurely, or recreational activity um, was shown to reduce the risk of diabetes, reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease um, by 40%, by cancer 80%, or other diseases. So Exercise is extremely important to live a longer, healthier life. And he states that the simplest 
answer to what exercise is best is the one that you will actually do, which I completely agree. Whatever exercise you're willing to do is what you should do. Because if you don't enjoy doing it, you're not going to be able to put it into your lifestyle. You're not going to be able to continue to do it. So you really should be enjoying what you do. But there are some areas that you need to do, even if you may not super love doing them. And typically one of those areas is strength training. So depending upon your specific health goals, what you're trying to accomplish, your certain level of fitnesses, all those things need to be taken into account in an exercise prescription. It is difficult to give a complete exercise program or prescription with all the different parameters in a, an article, in a short article in a magazine. He does promote his book, The Thrive State. He's the second edition. I believe I believe they're best-selling books. Um, I have not had a chance to read those books, but I just thought I would like to address this article because I'm pretty sure the information from this article mimics or mirrors what he says in his book. So we're going to start off with aerobic exercise. And he simply defines it as um, sustained physical activity of low to high intensity that stimulates and strengthens the heart and the lungs to improve the body's utilization of oxygen. And this is why exercise is sometimes called cardio because it, you, it improves the utilization of oxygen. Um, with aerobic exercise, you should be breathing harder and faster. Your heart will be quicker. Um, then when you're at rest and, and you're likely to begin to perspire, although I don't think perspiration is really a, an idea of whether you're working hard or not, because you can sweat just by laying in the sun. But if you do an aerobic exercise correctly, you're probably going to break into a little bit of a sweat, not necessarily pouring sweat, but you're probably going to feel a little bit of a sweat. Aerobic activity should involve the large muscle groups, particularly the legs, and rhythmic in nature. All this includes jogging, walking, running, cycling, swimming. So it's his definition. I completely agree with his definition. It's the definition that ACSM gives. Um, so there is uh, an area of agreement right there. But then he goes on to say, how often should you do it? So the CDC, ACSM, American Heart Association, all say a minimum of 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity. And the physical, the physical activity guidelines for Americans is recommended that adults do at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity activity or some equivalent of those two things each week. So the doctor just simply states that we want to be able to do 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity. And I think he really should slide in there that 75 minutes of vigorous activity can be substituted for that. So, for example, if I'm out doing my running or interval training three times a week um, for 30 minutes, that's 90 minutes. That would come under those guidelines of getting that type of activity in each day. Or you can just go out and walk at a moderate pace uh, for, for 30 minutes a day, five days a week. It's 150 minutes. So just for general health, moderate intensity exercises, he recommends for 30 minutes, three to five days a week. And the 30 minutes can be broken down into three 10-minute sessions, 
moderate intensity means that you should be able to easily carry on a conversation when exercising. Your heartbeat and your breathing will be quicker, but not to the point where it's difficult of talking. And that's, that is, I completely agree with that as well. If you want to define moderate intensity, but I think you need to do more than three days at 30 minutes for just general health. I think you need to be thinking about five days or 30 minutes if you're just doing moderate intensity activity. If you're doing some intense activity in there, that's a different story. You can go 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes, three days a week and take care of this. And this is just for general health. When it talks about for weight loss, you should do continuous to moderate intensity exercise for at least 45 minutes, five to six days a week. That's his recommendation. And um, we've seen in previous broadcasts that steady state training does not effectively help burn fat off your body. And that if you're really looking to improve fat loss or weight loss, that you want to be doing some kind of interval training. Now, he does define, oh, we're going to define vigorous intensity, meaning that your heart rate and breathing reach your point level where you're only able to speak a few words at one time. I completely agree with that. We should be doing that for sure. Not to um, downplay the importance of moderate intensity activity, 150 minutes a week, um, CDC recommends 150 to 300 me- minutes a week. If you're looking to lose weight, I think the most important thing is not necessarily that you're going for 45 minutes, five, six days a week of vigorous intensity activity. You want to just make sure you're getting your normal exercise in your normal activity in, because that is what we term as neat non-exercise activity. Uh, activity thermogenesis, which is 15% of your metabolism. And what that actually does is we're not thinking about that as a caloric expenditure activity. We're thinking of more of an activity to help the body with hormones. So a study published November 1st in the Journal of Diabetology, say that three times fast, concluded that exercise between noon and midnight could significantly decrease insulin resistance compared to activity earlier in the day. So one great reason to turn to walking is for the reduction in cortisol levels. So we're not thinking about exercise here. We're not thinking about trying to work real hard 45 minutes. We're thinking about just getting out there and walking out in nature. Science has found that stress hormones are greatly reduced after just a 20-minute walk, resulting in better mood and positive outlook. So just we just want to get out there and walk. That's probably more important than trying to go 45 minutes high intensity. Because I just mentioned, I think, the last podcast, maybe two podcasts ago, how a woman is coming to my door. She's in her early 40s. She's going six, seven days a week, 45 minutes to an hour you know, steady state training and she's not losing any weight because we know from the research that steady state training does not help with weight loss. It's strength training and it's high intensity interval training. So he does discuss high intensity interval training. 
And he's absolutely right. And I completely agree with him that a, a high intensity interval training improves glucose metabolism, especially in people with or risk for type two diabetes. This decreases fat mass. It improves blood vessel function, improves cardiovascular function. It's actually, and, it, and the cardiovascular function is measured by maximum oxygen intake. It improves your aerobic capacity in steady state training to do some kind of HIIT training. Now, I think where he gets a little bit off base here is when he gets into um, the prescription of it. And he's he does explain it as working challenging and then you're going to rest so it's high intensity all out effort and then you're resting which is what his hit training is for sure and um and the typical literally it should be less than 30 minutes you want to go more than that but what the real benefit of hit training is the epoch the excess post oxygen consumption the amount of calories you burn post workout so when we do steady state training, the body becomes very efficient at what we do. So the amount of calories we burn post-workout over time decreases. So you may burn, when you're first getting started, maybe you burn six or eight hours, your caloric expenditures increase. But as you get more fit, that six to eight hours of excess calories burned goes down to four hours to two hours to one hour to maybe not even a whole lot at all. And when you're running... You know, if you run a mile or you walk a mile, it's all about 100 calories. So what we're really interested in for exercise, for fat loss, and weight loss is to get that epoch, that excess post-oxygen consumption, which can be from 24 to 48 hours if done correctly. So the doctor mentions that a common regimen is a two to one ratio. So that's a fixed work to fixed rest, meaning that you're going to work for a certain amount of time. He suggests um, 40 seconds of all out and then maybe 20 seconds of jogging until he's exhausted. Now, maximum extra 40 seconds alternated with 20 seconds of jogging and walking until you're exhausted is, is going to just really become a steady state activity because that work is way too challenging for the rest. You're not going to rest. I know if I was to sprint for 40 seconds and then rest for 20 seconds, even if I just stood there or walked a little bit, I'm not going to be able to do that too many times. So what happens if you continue that too long, it becomes steady state. Your heart rate never actually comes down. So we, or I always recommend using a heart rate monitor. I know if you've listened to this broadcast at all before, that heart rate monitors are the most efficient way. This way, you're going to get a true interval effect. You're going to work hard so your heart rate gets to where it needs to be, just about 90%, and you're going to rest so it comes back down. No matter how long it takes for you to get your heart rate up or how long it takes for you to get your heart, your heart rate back down. This way, you get that true interval effect of up and down of the heart rate. Because if you go to a two-to-one ratio, if you're going for 40 seconds all out and in 20 seconds of jogging or walking, you just you're never going to get your heart rate back down enough for get a true interval effect. So that's what I would recommend for your cardiovascular workout if you're looking for fat loss, or really if you're looking to just get into better shape. The best way to do it is to do it for with 
with the heart rate monitor, high intensity interval training. So he recommends 30 minutes, modern intensity activity. That's great for your health, fat loss. He's pushing it to 45 in high intensity. I would not suggest that. I would suggest just continue with your, your modern intensity activity. Let's keep our glucose and our insulin resistance um, down. Let's keep our cortisol levels down. Let's let the body function better. Let's keep being a better mood, a better mindset and get the cardio workout that we want to get with some high intensity interval training, utilizing a heart rate monitor. Now here's an area that we both record. We both um, agree on completely that resistance training is extremely important. Okay. Um, he goes on to define resistance training as exercises involved in muscles contracting against the external resistance of weight. These type of exercise increase muscle strength, tone, mass, endurance, all that types of stuff. Um, he explains that the eternal resistance can be bands, dumbbells, weighted bars, kettlebells, whatever it might be, as long as you're going up against some kind of resistance. But an area where I think that he may have to take a look at is, well, let's first say this, that I completely agree. And the science shows that after age 20, otherwise healthy individuals begin to lose muscle mass as much as 3 to 5% per decade. And many chronic diseases, including diabetes and obesity, are believed to accelerate the decline of both muscle mass and strength thereby increasing the risk of scarcopenia and physical disability and a decrease in health span. Absolutely agree with all that. But here's an, an area where I may think that he needs to look, update his research. How often to do it? So for general, he says, for general health and to prevent sarcopenia in older adults, two days a week resistance training is recommended. One day upper body, one day the workout should be devoted to the upper body exercise and the other day to lower body exercises. Now, again, I completely agree with the doctor. Strength training is extremely important to maintain muscle mass and function as we age. Remember here that our goal is not just to live longer, but it's to enjoy those extra years. So here's where I disagree. One day workout of upper body and another day devoted to the lower body why wouldn't you just, I mean, that's just arbitrary. Why can't you just say on um, one day you're going to train the right side of your body and the other day you're going to train the left side of your body? I mean, it just, the research shows that you need to train twice a week. Areas of movement patterns should be trained twice a week. So I, I had this study. I just forgot about this study I wanted to mention a minute ago. Back in April 2020, Penn State Milton S. Hershey Medical Center, they proved that old adults who met twice a week, they did strength training twice a week, had lower odds of dying. And it, the study is the first to demonstrate the association in large nationally representative sample over an extended period of time, particularly in an older population, that strength training lowers the odds of dying. It's been around for a little while now, about seven years that's been proven. So if you want the most gains, you should train each muscle group twice a week, not once a week. 
And this is according to a new review in a journal, Sports Medicine. Scientists analyzed 10 prior studies that compared muscle growth in people who trained each muscle group once, twice, or three times a week over a couple of months. And they concluded that you need for best results to train each muscle group twice a week. Now, there's research that shows that you can go one set of each exercise twice a week for up to 12 weeks, and then the body starts to get a little bit of boredom, and you need to push that a little bit more. You need to get to that second set. You maybe need to get third set. You need to change your repetition range. You need to change your resistance. That's way too much stuff to put into the article, but to the point here being that you need to do strength training twice a week on each movement, not once a week. So the advice to American College of Sports Medicine, it just couldn't be simpler. It says that adults should perform strength training on all major muscle groups, legs, hips, backs, abdomen, chest, shoulders, and arms, at least twice a week. And this was in July 29 of 2020. A strength training program should be performed a minimum of two non-consecutive days each week, one set of 8 to 12 repetitions for healthy adults and 10 to 15 repetitions for older, frail individuals. And that is from the American College of Sports Medicine. One set, yes, will be good for a while, but eventually you need to go to a multiple set to continue to challenge the body. You will just, over time, your body will get bored if you're not challenging it with a multiple set, changing some repetition ranges. So it's overwhelming. There have been numerous studies conducted to determine the effects of training frequency. We'll talk about frequency, and this is the area that I disagree with him on. He's saying train a body part once a beat. I'm saying you need to do it twice a week. There's just a preponderance of evidence that says training each muscle group twice a week leads to more muscle gain. So if you want to be efficient, let's get it twice a week in there. In a 2016 meta-analysis, was done by well-known researchers in the fitness industry. And the results were pretty clear. They looked at resistance training frequency and the results on hypertrophic outcome, hypertrophy, making the muscles bigger. And they concluded that each muscle twice a week promoted superior results. So again, I understand it's difficult to cover all the parameters of a strength training program in a short article. And maybe he does it in his book. I'm not sure. But in an article like this, I think it would be extremely important to address the fact that you need to do each movement pattern, not once a week, but twice a week. Each Address each area what twice a week. And in this article, he doesn't mention power at all. Again, it's a short article, but we know after age 30 that, yeah, we're going to lose 3 to 5% per decade of muscle mass. We're not doing anything about it. But the muscle mass that we're losing is we're losing power. So we definitely should, I believe, should have mentioned that a strength training program should incorporate power exercises, not just strength exercises, but power exercises. A couple sets, three or four reps, five reps, whatever it might be. But he should have addressed, I believe, the reduction in power and power muscle fibers, fast switch muscle fibers, and that they should be addressed in the strength training program. But he does go on to talk a little bit about movement, functional movement, and I, I love what he talks about here because he talks about it's going to the potential to minimize 
uh, injuries and, and that type of thing. And then the movements that he's talking about are deadlifts, squats, front squats, kettlebells, swings, lunges, planks, squat, press, things like that, which is all really important stuff to do. We want to, we want to be strength training in, in, in movement patterns, we don't do bicep curls. We don't do chest, you know, chest flies. We try to move in patterns. So a horizontal press is a push up or or bench press. Vertical press is an overhead press. Uh, horizontal row could be a single arm row, two arm row, and, and a vertical row is a pull down and and things like that. So he does a great job here. But what he does say is that. There's a great online resource to help with functional movement. It's the functional movement systems. So functional movement systems addresses poor movement patterns, which you can go down a real deep rabbit hole with this. It's something that we do with all our clients. We perform a functional movement um, screening when someone comes in our door, and then we utilize exercises to help the person move better when you move better may reduce the risk for injury certainly as a body moves better you're going to get better results so that's a great reference right there to functional movement systems and to use functional movements in the strength training program it's going to help with all kinds of results flexibility he does touch upon flexibility i think we should be doing flexibility just about every day some kind of flexibility and movement um just going to help us move better. It's going to lower the risk of muscular injury, musculoskeletal injury, and debilitating pain. It's so, it's so interesting when people come out of physical therapy and they've gone in with shoulder problems that these little simplest movements and stretches, the next thing you know, they're moving fine. So it can help reduce stress all kinds of things. So I think he should do some kind of functional movement every single day. We put it right into our warm up, our, our ramp. We put it into our workout programs themselves. But it's certainly something that uh, he recommends, and I would also recommend it as well. He says to have some play and some fun. Absolutely. We should all be just having some fun in life, getting out there, doing some things we enjoy doing, maybe burn a few extra calories. But the biggest thing is that it's just going to keep us moving better. It's going to keep us feeling good. It's going to um, have, be great for our mindsets. And, and play is always good. So there's something there. So I'm going to just jump right down to what his recommendations are. And um, the key components is one weekly sprint at maximal effort. Mm. I don't know how many people over 65 are going to do a weekly sprint at maximal effort, or maybe it doesn't have to be a sprint, but some kind of cardiovascular activity. And you can do that in your interval training, in your HIIT training. Um, and using a heart rate monitor is going to tell you when you should be stopping, but you'll know when to stop because you just won't be able to do anymore. With some kind of Maximal effort, I believe, as he does, is is great for the body. He says resistant training twice a week. We know the caveat to that is instead of just upper body one day, lower body the other day, that we should be doing all overall body each day. We should be hitting each of the muscles twice a week. High intensity interval training twice a week. It's a great idea. I think we should be using a heart rate monitor that, not a two to one ratio. 
Uh, and he says low-level functional activities most days of the week. Now, he refers to low-level functioning activities most days of the week, but nowhere in the article does he talk about what low-level functioning activities are. I, I think it's I think it's what he's referring to as his moderate intensity activity, the cardiovascular activity, because he puts it on most days. So he breaks down his week like this. Monday, do weights with some low-level low functional movement, which is – I'm thinking your 30 minutes of a modern intensity cardiovascular activity. Tuesday, he wants you to do some HIIT training and again, some low level functioning movement. Wednesday, recover with some low level functioning movement, which is great because we need some time in between workouts, especially if we've lifted weights and that in high intensity interval training can be intense. Thursday, hit weights again with some low level functioning activity. Friday, HIIT training with some low level functioning activity. Saturday, play. Sunday, 20 to 30 seconds, full effort sprints, repeat five plus times and recovery, which to me sounds like his hit training. So there's three days of hit training there. So I'm not quite sure what he means by low level functioning movement. Um, could it be just some flexibility work, which we always put into our, all our workouts? Or could it be his cardiovascular work? I'm not quite sure what that is, but I don't disagree. You should be doing low level functioning activity. I would say cardiovascular, 30 minutes of moderate intensity activity in most days of the week, five, six days a week. Um, HIIT training can be your exercise. I think it can also account for the um, cardiovascular recommendations of, of 150 to 70 of moderate intensity or 75 minutes of high intensity activity each week. So I would say that there. And the Sunday sprints. To me, sounds like high, high intensity interval training. So, although altogether, I believe the doctor does a fantastic job. We completely agree on so much uh, what needs to be done for exercise and the importance of exercise to be able to not just live longer, but to be able to maintain some kind of function, and enjoy those extra years. I think one of the biggest discrepancies I have is in the exercise prescription of strength training. Um, and the high intensity interval training, those two areas are something that I think the research shows a little bit different than what he's suggesting. I haven't read his book. I plan on getting it. Um, but I did see this article and I know sometimes we see things on the internet and people start to ask questions and believe everything they read, especially from someone as, um, as you know, accredited as Dr. Vu is, um, but I think you also sometimes need to take a look at things a little bit closer. Physicians are very well trained. I'm not sure in the normal training they get the type of exercise training that someone who went to school for it does. At least the physician I've spoken to, just pretty much no general recommendations. So, and it's difficult for them to keep up on all the research that's out there. So, I hope this information was helpful for you. As always, if you have any questions, get a hold of me. If you would like a strength training program that addresses function, um, distractions, uh, be able to live longer, longer, healthier life, give us a call over here at Yes Fitness, or you can pick up a copy of my book, Get Stronger, Live Longer, The Expert's Guide to Strength Training for Longevity. Both links are in the notes. And... Um, Again, thank you for taking time to listen to what I have to say. You can get more information from me next Tuesday where we will talk about how to get fit, feel younger, and live better. Thanks for watching.